Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by these great companies that are giving us money to let you listen to their stuff. Bullshit, Kyle. We make this show. We make this show. You and me. Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by us. <laughs> Someone's got to pay the bills, Dan, because it's not our trading. <laughs> <laughs> All right, roll them. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. You are listening to an entertainment program put together by a company called Financial Ineptitude. Anything said on this show is not an endorsement or professional advice. Would you really want to tell a court of law you were suing us because you thought taking financial advice from two idiots on a podcast put out by financial ineptitude was a good idea? Really? Clown hat smiley face. Well, hello and welcome, everyone. Welcome to the China Shop. You made it to another amazing, fabulous guest episode. I'm Shopkeeper Dan. With me, as always, is Kyle, creator of FinancialNeptitude.com. Kyle? How you doing this fine CPI day? I'm just watching the markets bleed. Bleed. <laughs> it is not looking good. Hey, you know, dropping for almost four and a half percent in a day. That's just that's just a Monday, right? That's just a Tuesday, right? I mean, any more these days, it seems yeah. like it. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. Enough jibber jabber. Who's the guest? Jibber jabber. Oh, we are joined today. <laughs> by none other than the amazing, fabulous, fantastic Eric Smolinski from ES Invests. How are you doing today, Eric? What is going on, my guys? I am super stoked to be here in such esteemed company of wonderful, handsome traders like yourselves. Very, very thankful. Uh, now we know he's lying. <laughs> <laughs> what? You guys have the script ahead of time. I was just reading it word for word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let, let him read the script I wrote him. He's doing a fucking amazing job. Okay, 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 okay. Right, I, I thought it was going well. I was going to start adding <laughs> words like phenomenon and superb. <laughs> oh, you can come back anytime yep, you yep, want. Yep, yep. <laughs> Tell me I'm pretty. Tell me I'm pretty. Well, I'm not going to lie to you, but. <laughs> <laughs> but. <laughs> it's always a but. Always a but. <laughs> Eric, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? What do you do? For sure. So um, on a serious note, genuinely, thank you guys for, for having me. I listened to a few of your podcasts. And really, the thing that I love about what you guys do is there's levity, there's reality in what you guys talk about. You guys, I guess, break the number one rule of online finance, which is talk about losing trades, because apparently everybody out there is rich. Because no one But I... Um, I am a trader mostly in derivatives, so I trade primarily options. Mm -hmm. I got started investing when I was in high school. I was in ninth grade, and I came from a single mom. She worked two jobs to try to make everything happen, and I started working as soon as I possibly could to try and add value to the family. I also only had one mom. I just want to throw that out there. Damn, only one? Well, you can <laughs> get two one. or three these days, man. Let me tell you. <laughs> Well, I've had a few that, uh, that that came and went, but they didn't stick. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so I was just doing a lot of hustling. I was working a bunch of jobs and I had a teacher that said, have you thought about investing? And I was just like, you know what, man? As a matter of fact, I absolutely have not because I have no idea what the fuck that is. <laughs> and he <laughs> essentially turned me onto something that legitimately changed my life. I have a natural obsessive personality. So I took what I could, threw it into this investing machine via a custodial account. 
um, through my mother. And it's been extremely lucrative for me. I'm so, so thankful. And part of the reason why it's been lucrative is because when I started trading derivatives pretty heavily, I had an mm-hmm. army veteran essentially tell me he was online. Um, I never met him in person, but I was, you know, sharing what I was doing in different online forums. And essentially he told me that everything I did fucking sucked and I was (laughs) not going to be around very long. And I was just like, (laughs) well, that's ultra encouraging. And uh, so what do I need to do? And he was super helpful. He's the one that made me rethink my entire approach, everything I was doing. And that's how I got doing this kind of stuff is trying to pay forward the time those two guys spent on me because by all accounts, I should have been uh, really a nobody. And Mm -hmm. because of the information they shared, it changed my life legitimately. And we're going to cover all that information here in the next hour. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) (laughs) No, that's uh, super interesting that, you, you've had a similar experience, I think, that we've had as far as most of the good traders that we've met all want to give back yes. or help out or expect nothing in return. They genuinely want to see everyone else succeed. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, I think that that is such an important component to this because, it, again, like in the little world that I grew up, I went through a metal detector every day going into school. It was like that kind of place. Mm-hmm. And nobody was investing. You know what I mean? Like that's right. that maybe investing in like a shank, but nobody did. Right. <laughs> Hell yeah. But yeah. Because of some information that somebody shared with me, it, it was super impactful. So it's actually really awesome to see other people like you guys and other other folks that are trying to pay forward just the kindness of the broader community because it really can change somebody's life if they catch a certain little piece and it connects with them and off they go to the races. So how long was that? Uh, how long did you spend spinning your wheels? How long did you spend after you hooked up with uh, this mentor? And I think I saw you had two actually that you yeah. mentioned on your YouTube channel. Yeah. So the the first mentor, I call him my stepdad. There's no relationship between him and my mother, but that's just kind of the role he's assumed in my life. He's like mm-hmm. actually just become a, a, a lifelong mentor. And he's the one that got me to even know about investing. And the funny thing is, is he just passively invests. He doesn't trade. Mm -hmm. And like everybody else that starts trading, especially at a young age, we are known for our prudence and patience, right? We're all... Exactly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. with that, I took my, you know, $3,000 and I was like, well, I guess I need to start planning what I'm going to spend my millions on at the end of this year because I'm essentially already rich. (laughs) And that that is really the, the mindset that I started with was this busted ass, get rich quick mindset that we all know how that goes. My favorite saying is, you know, trying to get rich quick is the surest way to get rich slow. Mm-hmm. And I think about that a lot. So that first mentor got me started investing. And then I kind of went down the rabbit hole, got started trading. So between that time frame, I probably started investing buy and hold for probably eight months before mm-hmm. I, I ran out of money. Essentially, I was doing well, but all the money was just committed to a couple stocks that's it was pure, dumb, blind luck. But I bought a couple companies. I'm not sure um, if you've heard of them. One of them is Apple. Another one is Netflix. There was one called Amazon. Yep. And they started, obviously, to return really well. And I was like, well, I'm a genius, so I should just do this faster. Yeah, and yeah, put more in. Exactly, clearly. And that's yeah. actually when I got introduced to every trader's best friend, binary options. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is where the real money is, obviously. And that's when I realized that that is where the real money obviously is not because I was losing money hand over fist there. And that's when I started like actually trading though, was via binary options, then options. And that was at about the eight month mark is when I started trying to spread into that. And then it was really during my undergrad where I met that other mentor, the trading mentor that I referenced to you mm-hmm. guys. And he's the one that made me rethink everything I was doing and actually like approach it seriously as compared to the haphazard, you know, just flying by the seat of my pants approach, which it worked obviously okay for investing. It really did. But for trading, it was awful. Yeah. 
There's something else that I think you mentioned on your the intro on your YouTube channel about how nobody talks about how long it's going to take. And that was one of the things that really clicked when I was doing my research on you was hearing somebody finally say that because not many people do. No. And it's, you know, here's the issue I have in the thing that I love about platforms like you guys is there are so many finance media personalities that sincerely, I think, seek to just take advantage of people's ignorance and sell them a Mm -hmm. lifestyle. And it drives me wild, which is exactly why I put stuff like that in my messaging. Because, I mean, I'm super fortunate. I did become a millionaire before I was 30. And Mm -hmm. to me, that was a good time. That was a really aggressive timeline, especially coming from where I did. But, you know, you have these people that are like, oh, well, you know, I make 50,000 every other week. And it's like, (laughs) well, shit, bro, sign me up. How much do you lose on the other weeks? (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, seeing, seeing stuff like that is super frustrating. So much like you guys, I really do try to share practical information, but keep it based in reality. Like, Mm -hmm. because giving people false expectations literally just sets them up for failure. They're preying on people's ignorance. And I think that's fucked up. Yeah. 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 And the the expectations that you set for somebody who's could otherwise be successful if you gave them realistic timeline of like what it's going to take and how much effort Mm -hmm. Uh, they just, you just get bombarded by these messages on Twitter and uh, FinTwit and Reddit, all these YOLO millionaires, and uh, it just makes you want to just abandon all risk management and go crazy. I wish I could say that I never thought of that myself, but I like you're absolutely right. There, there have been periods of time where I saw what seemed to be legitimate people that were just knocking it out of the park, and I did mm-hmm. sincerely consider um, trying it. It's like, well, you know, why wouldn't I? But you're absolutely right. right. You just get such a skewed part of the message. Those uh, and those big wins really screw you up too, because they also mess up your expectations. I, I'm curious if anybody's ever put together some stats to see somebody who hits like a, a massive like win on a trade. Like, how much do they give back trying to chase that that return again? Ooh, that's a fascinating thing. I'm I'm kind of a I treat trading as a business, so it means that I don't allow myself to like gamble. I really don't allow myself to feel joy or sadness when I approach it. Mm-hmm. But I am a giant nerd when it comes to the markets and I read white papers all the time. And I was just reading one uh well, this shows you what kind of life I live. It was like 9:30 <laughs> last night and I was reading a white paper on white paper on Kelly Criterion for for betting strategies as it pertains to the markets. And mm-hmm. It's it's funny because I actually don't know if I've ever seen anything that talks about like somebody definitively who hit a big win and how much they gave back doing it. Obviously, most of what I do is very stats heavy because of my undergrad and my grad. So I, I do a lot of expectancy. Mm-hmm. Um, like the concept of probability of profit, just it makes me want to choke people out because it's like the same thing as this selling a certain lifestyle, right? Like you could tell mm-hmm. somebody, how would you feel if you won 92% of trades? And you're like, well, shit, that sounds awesome. It sounds like if I win 92% of trades, I can't lose money, right? Because I'm winning so much. So this is sick. And meanwhile, is that guy's name Roger Corey? <laughs> What's that? <laughs> Did you speak to Roger Corey by any chance? No, I have no idea who that is. Okay, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> is Roger Corey somebody I should speak to? No, um, no, no, no. He, not unless you want to talk more about ninety-two percent win rates. And yeah, he he came on our show and and pitched like if you buy his stuff, he'll teach you how to win eighty to ninety percent of the time. Stop it. measuring a demand. He measures demand somehow. Economic news, po- guys- geopolitics. Oh, is that is that like episode available? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah it's still up. Dude, I've got to listen to that. <laughs> I am. So, I, I, we we him and Hod uh, between the two of us over whether or not we would actually release that, and I think the decision to release it was made after we both of us I thought we were skeptical enough, and people who listened to us would recognize that we weren't just blindly buying into this guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, it's people like him that I want to choke the fuck out because <laughs> that stuff drives me wild. Because it's the same thing; it's just preying on people's ignorance. Yes, people think high win rate means I make money. Obviously, that sounds great. And then you talk to those people, and you're like, "Yeah, okay, you know, your average win 
is $15 and your average loss is $900. Like, sure, you have a high win rate, but you're negatively expectant, bro. You're going to lose money. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. That's like the the Martingale strategy where you just keep buying back in, buying back in, moving your stops. (laughs) It it works until it doesn't. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I was looking for Kelly Criterion because I'm going to make a a video on using Kelly Criterion for, you know, sizing. And one of the, it works and we know it works. Mm -hmm. But the tricky part is, is most people don't have the stomach for the volatility that comes with it and the drawdowns and whatnot. So people have been for a long time exploring different ways you can modify, which would tailor your overall returns, but it would also pull in some of the volatility so it's more palatable to people. But yeah, that's another thing I was looking at um, doing a video on pretty soon because I think it's fascinating because I also think that that's something I did early on, which was I sized trades based on how I was feeling, apparently, which was random Uh. and very difficult to, you know, build a profitable system based on how you feel that day. Right. Uh, we actually got introduced to Kelly Criterion. I just shared you that the video for you if okay. you hadn't seen it yet. Um, when we started our Back to the Futures series with uh, Flarry, the first episode, I think we spent a bit of time talking about that. That was, I think, one of the biggest things that helped me progress as a trader was understanding that that concept. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is, is even if somebody isn't totally bought into, you know, the overall word for word deployment of it, the concept, even as it pertains to just probabilistic outcomes in life is Mm -hmm. super, super useful because another thing people talk about with this probability of um, profit, I wouldn't call it bullshit because it's true. Like there, there's accuracy to it, but you know, the, the overall guys behind it is kind of BS, but the thing about those kind of strategies is number of occurrences, mm-hmm. right? And people don't realize how many occurrences need to happen before the the returns should start to approximate. So you can have a right. high probability strategy. This is what happens to a lot of people, I think at least. They deploy a high probability strategy for X period of time, and it's working because it's a high probability strategy. But mm-hmm. over time, it's going to assume the expectancy in terms of returns. So yep. You size up during that time frame because it's working, and then all of a sudden it doesn't work. And then you're like, sick, there goes my portfolio. This is an awesome magic trick that I would like to undo. But <laughs> <it doesn't- laughs> There's nothing worse than wiping out like three or four weeks worth of gains with one bad decision. Yeah. I did that exact thing when I was in college. Mm-hmm. That exact thing. I was... I talk a bit about the Dunning-Kruger effect because I think that also plays a part. Are you, are you guys familiar with that? I don't think I'm familiar with that one, so, but I'll make sure we link that in the episode description. In short, it's just when you're going through the learning curve and you reach a very, very dangerous point. It's where you know enough to be dangerous, but you still don't know what you don't know. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. We've all experienced it. Oh, <laughs> yes. Whether we know that, it or not. Exactly. And that's exactly what happened to me because I was trading options for a few years at that point. And I was like, oh, well, I have this super high probability of profit iron condor in the Russell. What could go wrong? Let me size this up so that I can make, you know, a inort. It wasn't that much money in terms of the, the account is like a $600 trade. But the risk I took to make $600 trade, like I want to invent a time machine so I could go back and slap myself in the face. <laughs> but I haven't figured that out yet. And sure as shit, man, I put on this high probability trade to make that good old 600 bucks. And then I went to the gym the next day and I opened up my account and I literally was just like, where the fuck is my portfolio right now? And the trade consumed, it it was the largest percent of my portfolio drawdown that I've ever had. Mm -hmm. And it was for $600. Like, wow. Oh, so frustrating. I'm thankful it didn't blow me up, but that is what made me do like a full stop on everything. And like, it's when I truly acknowledge the fact that, yeah, I knew a few things about derivatives, but I clearly still had a lot left to go. And my favorite part of that story is the trade would have landed right in the middle. It would have been a profitable trade, but I had no plan. I got scared. I saw a huge percent decline on the account, just exited to stop the bleeding Uh and sure as shit. And I deserved it. That was good for me Mm -hmm. because I'm an idiot and I deserve the pain. Well, what would have happened if it didn't go 
back. Oh, you know way. what would have happened, man. I would have just mortgaged <laughs> everything and I would have gone bigger. And I'll even, rebuy a car when I'm rich. Get right, out, get right. it gone. <laughs> exactly. Well, I mean, they're sitting there trying to keep me in college. I'll buy the college, man. Like, <laughs> this next iron condor is about to turn to numbers. <laughs> That's exactly what would have happened. <laughs> so it sounds like you kind of followed a similar journey to us where it took us quite a while to realize what risk management was and why it was important. Yeah. 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 And it's, it's interesting because I really respect Warren Buffett, but that's one of the things I was always so fascinated that he always said, you know, like rule number one is make money or don't lose money. I, I actually, hold on. Let me, let me slow down here before I, bastardized Warren Buffett saying uh, he, he I don't think he cares well I, I don't know man he's like 90. <laughs> I so, think I think the phrase you're looking for is Warren Buffett famously said bling bling bitches that's it how do you know the quote off the top <laughs> yeah, of your head so yeah. well? I was I was there at that speech it was amazing <laughs> so yeah he says rule number one never lose money and rule number two don't forget rule number one anyways the thing I didn't understand what that meant. I thought that he was saying make money. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I realized though, just as you guys rightly point out, you know, like risk management number one, because mm-hmm. if you don't have money, you can't make money. So you got to protect the working capital that you have. So yeah, man, it, it took me a hot minute to come across that. Plus, you know, you caught the SKI, the ski at the end of Smolinski, so I'm Polish. I'm naturally fixed old. I've had like seven or eight concussions. So yeah, man, things come slow over here. I was going to work in a meathead joke if you were f- uh, familiar with All in the Family, but I wasn't sure if that reference is too old. Um, I am familiar with All in the Family, but yeah, I think the meathead or just the concussions is, is a good one because, I mean, I identify with Archer, man. Like every once in a while, my ear just start oh. ringing. And wow, 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 yeah, wow. yeah. I, I identify with that guy. I freaking love Archer. Uh, Okay. So another question. So it took you a similar amount of time. It sounds like to, to figure out risk management uh, like we did. Um, What about the the psychology aspect of trading? Like, did you really, did you have any idea how much you'd be looking at yourself and trying to understand your own psychology when you first started your journey uh, trading? Absolutely not. Honestly, no. I thought that, I would be able, I was so naive that I didn't even have like a trade log Mm -hmm. because I was like, oh, I'll remember what I did. (laughs) (laughs) I know we didn't have one. Yeah. I didn't have one when I started either. (laughs) What's a trade log? Yeah, exactly. That's for (laughs) some, for people who aren't making fat stacks on these iron condors. That too. I don't got time for that shit. Right. The broker keeps track of it. I'll just look it up if I want to see. (laughs) I'm too busy making money. I can't be putting stuff in an Excel sheet. I'm not a nerd. Yeah, it's it's so true. Like I, I didn't really think much about it. And it's funny because the trading mentor I had, he didn't talk too much about it himself. Mm -hmm. But he also was a very rules based trader. He always gave himself left and right lateral limits, so he had Mm -hmm. room to move within his rule set. But he had everything defined so well for himself that he had, by the time I met him, he already highly successfully decreased the amount of variable input that him as the trader is putting into his systems. Right. So I think I kind of just naturally picked some of that up. And it wasn't until I started actively trading, like day trading and scalping, that I came across the psychology side of things and started to understand when I implemented the trading plan, I had like a little section for whatever my hypothesis was and -hmm. what it was based on. And I started auditing those kinds of things, realizing that I was about as inconsistent as anything could possibly get. And that's when I realized how much of a variable that I was as a human being. And that's when I started taking trading psychology way more seriously because of that exercise of like reviewing my notes and realizing that things didn't line up as I would have expected (laughs) with my perfect memory, obviously, because I didn't need that trading plan or the trading log in the first place. Right. Oh, man. Yeah. And uh, that realization when you finally realize that it's you that you're fighting, not the markets, nothing else. Like you are your your own worst enemy when it comes to, to trying to actively trade. Dude. 
I love that you said that so much because, you know, you know how it is on like the online forums, you go to Reddit, you go to Facebook. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, fuck payment for order flow. Screw the market makers. Oh my God. High frequency trading's out to get me. I can't- it's rigged. It's rigged. <laughs> yeah, man. And it's like, listen, dude, just so you know, like none of them even know you exist. They don't care about you. <laughs> so not only do, are they not actively out trying to get you, they don't know you're there. So it's like, I, I think understanding that it really is a solo endeavor and like we are completely in control of our own destiny. The sooner we get around to accepting that fact, the sooner we can actually act and make a change so that you can maybe have a good outcome. Mm-hmm. Maybe. I'm so glad you mentioned the the market is rigged thing. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if you follow Horse Lover Fat on uh, Twitter, but he had a great quote uh, over the weekend, I think it was. Bad trader says the market is rigged. Good trader says, if you believe that to be true, how are you positioning to take advantage of that? Yes. <laughs> Right, right. Uh, yeah. Okay. If it's rigged, that means it should be predictable. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. yeah, dude. That's that's actually like really, really awesome. I, I didn't catch that, but I love that. Yeah, there's some good gems on Twitter if you follow the right people. I found it. I wasn't on. So I, I made a Twitter a long time ago. Um, I think because I had a couple of friends who were starting on it because they were into like tech real heavy in college. Mm-hmm. And I made one, but I didn't like it. So I didn't bother with it. And in the past year, I got active on Twitter again. And I actually genuinely like it. I've learned that as long as you avoid the fucking clickbait, which is real alluring, <laughs> so many puppies. You do that, your feed is done. You got to just start all over and torch it. There yep. was like yep. one sensational article that, ah, oh, man, I was like, oh, they got me so good. I clicked it. And as it was opening, I was just like, there it all goes. There goes yep. all of the information I've curated for myself from all these awesome sources. I am now relegated to this piece of crap news and here's my new life <laughs> here's the conspiracy theories <laughs> Here they but, come. but you're right i i think twitter actually has a lot of like really really great information it's just you know as always surrounding yourself with the right people yeah I, I would highly suggest following anybody who's honest about it if people are only posting gains like yeah maybe you don't want to be following them unless they're actually sharing their thought process behind the trades they do make yeah right I, well, and that, that's another thing that I never really understood is the traders that seem to, you know, try to sign up for like an alert service or yeah, something. Yeah, signals. Yep. Yeah. I, I, it, I was so ignorant to that entire world. And then I realized that there are just these giant communities centered around that. And I, I just think like, what do these people genuinely think is going to happen here? Well, it, my guess would be uh, just thinking about the psychology of it is that it takes you out of the equation. If you're following somebody else's alert, then it's not your fault if it doesn't work. Mm. Super fair. Protecting the ego. Because yeah. you're like you're absolutely right. I think the ego is completely overbearing in a lot of what we do. And that's a great point. Mm-hmm. That's a really great point. The thing that my mentor always used to tell me, though, is nobody's going to care about your money more than you. Uh, that's good point. Yeah. And that's as you were saying that, though, that's the first thing that came into my mind. But I can totally see the perspective you shared. Well, that's why I never got into it either. Like, yeah, you can tell me that this is a good thing or something I should look at, but what are you seeing? Let me look at it and then compare it to what you're seeing and see if we're on the same page. Right. Like, I want to learn how to trade. I don't want someone to just tell me how to trade. Well, and that's like the 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 name of the game because it's, you know, what do you, what does that person set themselves up for long-term? Now you just, you need to suckle on somebody else's <laughs> trades in order to survive. Like, and- I don't know if you've had, we've had this uh, realization recently that the strategy doesn't really matter all that much. Good risk management principles and your ability to follow your own rules are like the two main keys to that will drive your success. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think there's, I think that's accurate. And I think, so for me, I've been trading for fif- 15 years now. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed that as soon as I started selecting, I, I targeted 15% per year, essentially for the past 12 years. Mm-hmm. And I've luckily been able to outpace that. I think right now for the past full 14 trading years, I have like a 22% CAGR. Nice. Which I think is really good. I'm yeah. happy with that, but I'm also under no illusion that there there are people who can blow that out of the water. Like I've had some people on the YouTube channel, like um, 
Matt Caruso. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he was in the U.S. Investing Championship, which is a great program. That's an audited, you know, those people, the real deal. Hmm. And he had like a 300% return over the course of a year. It's like, wow. Yeah, dude. Yeah. You start, (laughs) you start to realize that some of these guys are like real, real good at this. But Mm -hmm. I found that focusing on consistent deployment that I could, again, consistently hit year over year was very impactful. And that is how I chose to inherently build in risk management. Because if I'm not going for a 50% year, that already inherently decreases the overall risk profile. Right. Then in addition to how I structure the portfolio and the strategies to serve that purpose. Well, and if uh, you ever want to go and try to push those returns, 22% is fine. That's, that's more than enough to live off of. And if you ever want more, you can always just start increasing your size as your bankroll increases. Absolutely. And the, the thing for me is I recognized that at the current pace that I was at, I would be able to essentially achieve everything I wanted to by the end of my 20s. And when I say achieve everything that I wanted to, it just means in terms of financially, like I was going to be able yeah. to help my mom. Like I you know, sent her money to pay for the house to next year, I'm going to get her a car. You know what I mean? Like I, I can take care of her. And then I can still continue growing on my side while I spread into other things. I think that's one of the things that investors in general, they lose sight on is, you know, this year I just sold one of my rental properties and net profit was two, two, 260,000. Nice. And that's, that's net profit. That's something I, I lived in that house for five years. I rented it. I rented it for two years. So you still kept the three-year grace period or the two out of five? And that's exactly why I structured it that way. Because I didn't have to roll it into another property. I could take the money and move. So by opening up to other ways to invest between that and trading, I was achieving the returns that I wanted. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I think... George, one of the first guys we ever talked to, he uh, he told us that like every trader eventually becomes an investor. It's like the natural progression. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I also, even though I consider myself a trader, I still consider it investing overall, which, you know, it's like, okay, Eric, like obviously concussions acting up because you just contradicted yourself, but no, like, no, no, no. That's yeah. not at all. It's like the uh, poker players who don't, con- they don't con- like the professionals, they're not gambling. Right. Like they have a right. positive expectation. It, it, exactly. And I think the way that I view it is even though I trade actively, I still have an investing time horizon. Mm-hmm. And that that's really the, the main objective because I think one of the beautiful parts about trading is unlike investing, when it comes time to start drawing, which I've recently started to do myself over the past two years, is using the account for partial or full income. Mm-hmm. Well, I can do that as a trader with lower principal amounts and still make what I want to make as compared to an investor who essentially has to amortize out their account and they have to pull from it, sell whatever their securities are in order to take the money out. Mm-hmm. Um, and via trading, I don't really have to do that. I can use specifically derivatives to continue growing the account while I actively pull on the account when I want. It's almost a detriment to have too much in your account, right? It can be. And definitely, depending on the way that you trade, there's an opportunity cost and drag associated with just parking the capital there. So yeah, I, I think that that is completely accurate. Yeah, the more that's in there too, the more you may be tempted to put at risk if you're starting out. Yeah, and I find people... The thing that I tell people that are first starting out is it's so important to understand that you inherently, and you being all of us, we have way more discipline problems than we even understand. (laughs) Yep. And as soon as you start trading, you figure it out real fast because you're like, oh, well, if it hits this level, I'm going to get out. And then it hits that level and you're like, well, maybe I'll just wait a little bit and see. Right. And Yeah, dude. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, well, I just blew that account up sick. Or when it gets back there, then I'll sell for real this time. Obviously. Yeah. yeah. That's, you just got to oh, wait. Then it gets your- back up there and you're like, oh, no, no, that's no, no, still looking good. Maybe I'll let this push a little bit more. Dude, and that's yeah. Time, and then it's too late. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> I, I think that's spot on, man. Uh, I think we've all been through that. Yeah. I think, yeah. And, and it's a really important growth cycle, though, because one of my favorite things about trading is as much as we want to blame other things, whether you do or don't doesn't matter. It doesn't change the fact that it's it's us, it's you. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you start to figure that out, as frustrating as it can be, it's actually also very empowering because you come to realize like I can actually control 
how I go to market, and then I can learn the outcome on how I go to market, optimize that, and like legitimately control your own destiny. Right. But the only way you get there is by accepting the fact that you and you alone are in the driver's seat. That's a good point. Uh, you don't always have to engage, too, since trading you're your own boss, like you can pick the times that you put yourself or your capital at risk. If you're not feeling a hundred percent, like you don't have to trade that day. And that's, I think something that people have hard time wrapping their heads around too. Yeah. Yeah. I actually just did a a post on Reddit about that exact thing. Um, I, I feel like a lot of new traders, when we become infatuated with it, we think, okay, well, if I trade more, I'll learn more and make more. Right. And I just like you, I, sincerely do not think that that's the case ever since I do um, a YouTube live session every Monday and I do it on purpose because part of that is for accountability, right? Like if I Mm -hmm. say something, then it's there, it's recorded, people saw it and I can't just like renege, right? And say, Oh, I didn't say that. Delete, delete. Right. So (laughs) literally like this entire year towards the end of last year, around November into this entire year, I have not been more than 25% invested. Mm-hmm. And I think at the height, it was like 15%. I think this last week, I just went over 20. But I've been so lightly invested for that exact reason you just highlighted, is that I am waiting to find good risk-reward profiles that will allow me to achieve my objectives. It's not a function of, I need to touch the market every single day, because you don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dan, I've been uh, driving this a what do you got for us? I was just saying, I wish I wish it hadn't taken me so long to figure that out personally. Which part? That I don't have to always be engaged in the market. Uh, it's tough because I still feel like that too. Like even if, if I cut a day early, like I feel guilty, like I should be working. Yeah. Interesting. What, what time frames do you guys normally trade? Uh, I am mostly uh, futures. So like five to 15 minutes. Damn. a lot of work right there uh uh, and the the longer this has gone on the fewer and fewer trades i actually do take Uh, it's mostly like a fighter pilot where you're just staring at charts for an hour trying to find the entry that looks good well more more power to you man because i get bored and i'd rather go to the gym or go surf right so my my attention span (laughs) runs out and i bounce (laughs) (laughs) i actually I actually found, um, like, I still do day trade, but the vast majority of my trading is probably 7 to 50 days out, Mm -hmm. somewhere in there. Yeah, I like the 30 to 45 when I'm doing swings on equities. Yeah, and depending on how how you structure, you know, your your swings, it can be a really advantageous time frame based on, you know, the product and and what what you're Mm -hmm. deploying. But I just, I find the increased time frame is actually really useful for many reasons one of which is i found that i am more profitable by spreading out across different time frames because mm. i'm not forcing an opportunity that doesn't exist okay like and I'm obviously not suggesting you do this but um i found personally that when i was trying to retail trader scalp and i say retail trader scalp because we bastardize that term when we trade you know in and out in 30 seconds like that's still not a scalp but fine you know retail traders we can call it a scalp and when i would do that i would try to force things because now my my profit depended on my interacting with the market on a daily basis mm-hmm. but as soon as i started widening out some of the time frames so that I had trades working across different time cycles, it relieved essentially all of that pressure. And now I just mm-hmm. look and I say, do I see an opportunity here? If yes, great, I'll trade it. If not, I don't care because I still have capital working that's going to be coming in in four days and then some more trades in two weeks and you know so on and so forth. Right. Oh, that's interesting. I, yeah, I found that to be super, super useful. Just basically taking you away from being glued to the markets and yeah, the more you stare at something, the easier it is to justify something. Of course. Yeah, you start to like prove your own hypothesis. Right. And, yeah, and I and I think another thing traders fall into really frequently is most people trade so that they can create financial freedom and then you know, essentially live their life however they want. But I think it for a lot of people it just becomes another 9 to 5 job. 
instead of, you know, going and working for an employer nine to five, now somebody's strapped to the screen nine to five. It's like, is that better for you? And if yes, then great. You know, then. Oh, I love it. <laughs> yeah. Which is perfect because there, there are a lot of people and I know quite a few of them who like, I truly enjoy following the markets. Like when I was, mm-hmm. I was in Curacao for a couple of weeks uh, last month and in between, like I would go diving and then I would come back, you know, grab some food. And then I was like, Oh, let me, you know, see what's going on in the markets. And like, I would do that because I also genuinely enjoy it. But I'm always careful to make sure that it's not getting to the point where, you know, at least for me, trading was always a means to an end. Mm -hmm. And I do not trade, like I said, for entertainment, I trade to make money, and then I use the money for whatever I want. But the cool part with the markets is you could do stuff like this, right? Like talk with yeah. cool dudes like you about trading. It's entertaining. And you're still talking about shit that you like. Cause if I did this with my wife, she'd throw something at me and be like, dude, shut up. <laughs> so, yeah. That's why we started our discord. <laughs> Super smart. Very, very smart. Don't bother your wife. Bother us. We bother us. It. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. That's like the perfect sales pitch for a trading community. <laughs> I know. Right. No, we should, that should be our next tweet. Patent pending. Yeah. Get the yeah. wipe on that. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, I think you guys have rights to that. It's it's in use now. That that's your guys's. That's your guys's. That's monitor. ours. Yeah. Okay. Before it gets too long, I have to ask you. You know Anthony Fatsies? No. Oh, okay. He follows you on Twitter. I thought maybe you guys were collaborated, and I missed it. Who that? Uh, Australian living in the UK hosts what the finance? Oh, what the? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For whatever reason, his last name didn't. Um, didn't jive with me, but yeah, I just did a, a podcast with, with him probably two weeks ago, maybe he actually suggested you guys. Oh, has it come out yet? No, I don't think so. Actually, okay. this, this all just connected a bunch of shit. I'm supposed to ruffle feathers here. Um, and say <laughs> somebody was supposed to be talking shit about somebody. So I think if you guys just artificially get mad at him, then I've done my job. Oh, are we supposed to, is he trying to start beef? Oh, God I, well, damn it. Yeah, that's right. Maybe oh. maybe I'm just starting beef, but I'm here for it. That sneaky Australian yeah. bastard. Yes, no. perfect. Holy fucker. And the tricky part about him being a sneaky Australian bastard is he's in like Europe right now. So he's even playing mind games. That's oh, even yeah. sneakier. He's yeah, trying to blend like, in with the UK. Yeah, what's he doing there? What's what's he gaining there? We don't he's know. Right. He's is what he's doing. The I, queen yeah. did just die. I'm I'm just connecting dots. I think, I mean, that's a causal relationship right there. If I've ever seen one. Too many Australians caused the queen's death. <laughs> she, couldn't, she couldn't take the pressure, but constantly being uh, called the hard C. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Before I turn this into a military conversation, do you, do you have anything else you want to, to, to ask while we got a good uh, a, a potential new mentor here? Wow, uh, nothing, nothing springs to mind. I mean, biggest lessons learned, anything like favorite setups? Oh, okay, yeah, sure, Eric. What? Are, <laughs> <laughs> what are your favorite setups, and what's your trading time frame? I just really like that you thought of that question completely on your own. So. Yeah, you know, I'm a I'm a big boy here in the shop. I do all the big boy thinking. <laughs> Dan's the color commentator. <laughs> Um, as far as setups, I have become like every trade. I'm, I'm, I'm like legitimately agnostic. I have a toolkit of strategies. So primary strategies I run are covered strangles, ratio diagonals, um, and then volatility plays things like short straddles primarily. Mm -hmm. And then I do have a smaller, toolkit for futures directly. But the short answer to your question is I just kind of look at the market and see what makes sense. And I split my portfolio into two allocations. It's all one portfolio, all the money's together, but I allocate it in two different segments. I have a core allocation and a speculative allocation. The core allocation is designed to get me that goal that I shared with you guys previously, which is at least 15% per year. Um, I've actually revised that down. Now I'm looking for 12% per year to just decrease overall volatility. I don't really need the the 15% at this point. And I'm going to 
continue scaling that back for the core. Mm -hmm. And then the speculative allocation is for days like today. I saw the CPI come out. I knew that the market was going to have a conniption. Okay, let me rephrase that. I thought the market was going to have a conniption. (laughs) And um, I bought VIX futures. And I've been scaling out of those uh, over the course of the day. And I still have just a little bit left on right now. But like for me, that's a speculative trade. So if I see something, and I think that's a really important part of trading actually is pattern recognition. That's like clearly Mm -hmm. attached to successful traders that are able to identify patterns that they've seen before. And this fits essentially a playbook on a very emotional market, in my opinion. So I trade the speculative sparingly. I let the trades run more and I cut risk quicker. Mm -hmm. So on the speculative side, I still have overall positive expectancy, but I will have a lower win rate, but a higher average win. What is your win rate, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, Typically. I I can tell you right now. I have to pull up my my trade log that I actually use now. <laughs> it's a very strange concept. So in the speculative allocation, it's 42%. That is right where it should be. It's, it's right, yeah. the people we've talked to. Yep. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, a little less than 50-50. So if I keep flipping coins, um, I'm not good at that apparently. But but <laughs> I'll bet the right way is so far been the case. Yeah. Uh, risk reward, right? It, it, exactly. It's it's. Yeah. I base my strategies on expectancy. The way that I view it is, as long as the strategy is positively expectant, it has a place in the portfolio, provided I can find the right market condition to deploy that strategy. And as soon as the strategy is negatively expectant for me over um, a given time frame, that's when I full pause, pull that strategy down. It's not allowed to go out until I understand the issue in the current market that that strategy is having. I don't have that too much anymore because mm-hmm. I have like such a, a small toolkit now. Like I said, I, I pretty much run six strategies more often than not. Mm-hmm. So I, I have them dialed in pretty carefully for the right market conditions. And then on the core side, that's based more so on percent off of highs and then volatility levels, whether I'm trading IWM or VIX, I primarily will trade index ETFs, sector ETFs, blue chip stocks on the core side. Again, just because I'm not looking for any sort of big home run that is just a consistent cycle. I'm main edge is derived from applying the correct strategy to the corresponding markets. For example, if I see um, I have different pricing models, I started calculating my own implied volatility surfaces, which... I didn't fully understand the amount of effort that goes into that, but um, it's super fun. Anyways, I use those <laughs> those strategies. Do you have any trouble sleeping at night holding positions overnight? Absolutely not, dude. Most of my stuff is held overnight. Mm-hmm. Like VIX, I'll, I'll hold VIX over overnight tonight if I have to. It, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't matter to me at all. Well, at this point, the trade is already profitable, right? Right, but whatever you have left the, is just going to be the. The bitch of it is, especially because it's futures, like there, there is the potential for a emotional market to reverse yet again. Right, right. And I, it would have to move a lot in order to overwhelm the partials that I've already pulled down. But again, just acknowledging the realm of possibility that could happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, overnight doesn't bother me at all. I always feel like if you have a hard time going to bed as a trader, it means that you're not managing risk appropriately. Or it means that you need to go exercise a little bit. Oh, exercise. I, okay. <laughs> I knew that couldn't get away with not doing it for 40 years. Yeah, I'm not trying to come out here and chop fire. No, actually, that's uh, kind of brings... Uh, I, I think yesterday I had a, a kind of a tougher day. Um, I woke up, you know, late to start with. So mm-hmm. I ended up missing my morning walk. And I th- was blaming the feeling off on the weather but i think now that i think about it it's actually missing that walk i think screwed me up more than anything else i think it's entirely possible because the other thing i don't know if you follow huberman lab Mm -mm. but i literally love that dude he's um he's a scientist essentially and he shares a ton of just human concepts that are really useful and something like when you first wake up getting some sort of physical exercise within the first four hours is super important and getting 10 minutes of direct sunlight is super important Um, because when we wake up that's one of the primary um, dispersals of cortisol that we have which is actually really useful just for hormonal 
regulation within the body. So I'm going to shut up now, though, and stop talking about stuff that I have no qualifications in. This is just regurgitating what I've heard from him. That's all we do. <laughs> Welcome to the China shop, Eric. There we you, go. You figured out the formula. You cracked the code. This is what, perfect. What was the guy's name again? Uh, Huberman. Andrew um, D. Huberman? It's Andrew Huberman. Yeah, the, the dude's awesome. He, he literally is awesome. I really like him. He's at, he's a neurobiologist. I think he's at Stanford or something. Um, and yeah, he, he's a straight up homie. He, he's a really cool dude. There's another, uh, it's like Dr. Rhonda Patrick. She's another favorite of mine. Um, both of them have shared a lot of really useful information with me because I found during COVID, um, I went through a bit of a depression cycle and I was just a piece of shit of a human being yeah. and did not like who I was. So I started trying all sorts of things, you know, to try to figure out how to be less of a piece of shit. So I think right. I succeeded at least in decreasing the shittiness scale. But So what, what did you do that made you feel like less of a piece of a shit? Uh, I stopped sleeping in. I started making sure that my workouts were honest. And by doing that, I got a heart rate monitor so that I couldn't bullshit to myself saying, oh, I feel tired. Like, no, homie, like <laughs> your heart rate's still low. So guess what? Like, go work. Right. Yeah, it's just a lot of little things like that that became like really useful for me. I was staying up late doing stupid stuff like I would play video games or just completely mind numbing activities. And it's because part of it genuinely is because like the gym's closed and stuff. And that's a big part of my life is being physical. Mm -hmm. And I think when that artificially and I say artificially got pulled for me because again, I was just being a poopy pants. All I needed to do was go get a kettlebell and start working out. Right. right? Just do it at the house. But yeah, I started disallowing myself to be a victim is really what it came down to. I, I was being a lame victim, blaming COVID and the gyms being closed and yada, yada, yada. And I realized that I was just being a just little bitch and I needed to just keep myself accountable. Uh, oh man. I'm so glad that you mentioned the victim thing. And uh, like, that's the last part of the, the, like there seems to be a celebration of victimhood in the United States these days. Oh, and yeah. you know, to hear some, like they, we, we forgot about the other part, like overcoming the adversity. Like that's the yes. part we celebrate. Yeah. Yep. People use their victim status as like credentials in an argument. Yeah. It's like a badge of honor somehow now. It's wild to me. The fact that we're not to like go too controversial or anything, but like the, the fact that we're like celebrating overweight models on like magazines and stuff. Sure. You know, it doesn't, not everybody has to be taking diuretics and, you know, looking completely unattainable to the average person, but to like celebrate unhealthiness is mind blowing. Like it's the unhealthiness one. Yeah. Like, there's, one, there's a difference between being you know, a little overweight. Yes. Or, yes. And, yeah, exactly. But now everybody is just permitted to feel however they want to feel, act however they want to act. And we're supposed to all be okay with that. And to me, it just, it, it just comes down to where's the accountability? Like, where's the accountability? The fact is, is that if you are severely overweight, you are at increased rate of hypertension, diabetes, like all sorts of really bad things for mm -hmm. your genuine health, despite, you know, the self image that you want to. So yeah, I, 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 that stuff, it's frustrating <laughs> because it sets people up for failure, man. And, and then honestly to me, uh, and I'm all for individuality, of course. Uh, but but I, I, I'm getting to the point these days where I wonder, like, how long can we have a single culture? That's a great question. That you know, really is a great question. You look at some of the Asian cultures and you look to the East where they're very community centric. Yes. Like that's that's really where why communism can work in China for as long as it works. And they're not like rising up is because there there's almost a sense of like, well, how can what am I doing what it takes for the community to be moving along? forward and and i feel like we don't have any of that anymore everybody's circling the wagons into smaller communities and there's no sense of we're all in this larger american culture together Dude, all of us every single one i don't think covid helped that at all either covid covid accelerated yeah. the deterioration of that fabric it's oh my god uh, so, you know, uh, we're glad to start our own little circle of wagons in the China shop where we're just talking trading. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> I, I, I love how you brought that all together, but back to trading. I, I know. Well done, Dan. I, uh, yeah. Yeah. 
I've I've only had a couple drinks. I'm still pretty sharp. There you go. <laughs> I but I I genuinely agree with that sentiment though because I think mm-hmm. even even for the people in the finance world that are comfortable preying on new people to the space and taking advantage of them, right? Selling yep. a bullshit service or whatever it is. Yeah. It's there's no social contract there. There's no sense yes. of these are people in my community and the broader community and I should be taking care of them. Most of them are like well, I can't make money on my own, so let me extract 14 nickels from this person so that I can go buy half of a coffee. Right. And hey, right. buyer beware. It's on them for letting me scam them. Of course. Yeah. That's, right. Yeah, man. Frustrating. Super frustrating. Yeah. yeah. All right. Before we wrap this up, I have to ask uh, about your, your background. You were a, a Marine? Yes. Yeah, I was a Marine officer. I was on active duty for a little over... Officer, Ooh. yeah, I was I was on active duty for a little over six years, and then um, I rolled over to the reserves, which is like the best kept secret of the Marine Corps. <laughs> so, tell me the best sailor jokes you have, or the best Navy jokes. Uh, they're really contextual driven, and most of them are just about the flamboyancy of the Navy. Really, is what it comes down to. <laughs> you mean our bell bottoms and capes? Oh, were you in the Navy? <laughs> Oh, yes. Oh, perfect. Yeah. So now <laughs> this, this makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Well, I, I'm just glad, you know, that you guys stay true to your name and you're a good seaman. I am. I and am 100%. The other a thing I, I learned about the Navy that I love is how the term shipmate is like an actual like, fuck you now. That's hilarious oh, to me. That's uh, that. Uh, what's the other good one? Um, noted. I still <laughs> bristle when everyone that says that to me. Yeah, noted. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Fuck you too. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, the person at the ke- the checkout line is like, "What in the hell just happened?" Yeah, what's going on with these guys? They sound so cordial, but they hate each other. <laughs> no, you don't have any good. Uh, you, 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 I mean, I know the Navy likes to try to poke fun at the Marines with like uh, the my ass rides and Navy equipment. And yeah, I mean, y'all are fucking chauffeurs, so <laughs> there <laughs> it is. So much right. you on us. <laughs> <laughs> Let me see if you know the answer to this. This is for Ryan. Um, uh, the last Marine we had on here, you didn't answer this the right way. Um, what did it used to say on your paycheck when you're in the military? Dog, we it, we get who, a who paid you? deposits. Who, Nobody who paid gets you. Oh, our sugar daddy, Department <laughs> of the Navy. But it's see, this is why it's good to have these conversations because we have the men's department, which is there the Marine Corps, and then we have <laughs> the rest of the Navy over there on the other side. Yeah, that'll make Ryan happy. <laughs> can I? I can end with one more joke. We can all make fun of the Air Force, right? Well, my that dude I was telling you about, my stepdad, he's a retired Air Force colonel. My dad's Air Force, too. Yeah. I, so I used to crack some jokes about him. And then I realized, so I was like, he's like in communications, man. You know, like he was in like Italy. He was in all these cool places. That's what they don't tell you about the Marine Corps, man. <laughs> is they're like, oh, yeah, you know, oorah, yuck, kill, sick. And then they're like, yeah, bro. So it's time to pick your duty stations. You can go to bumfuck North Carolina. You can go to the desert. Or you can go to a Japan. You're like, <laughs> wait a minute. Wait a minute. What about this? Travel the world. See the world. They're like, oh, yeah, dude. You could see the world. We'll just, we're just going to send you to Afghanistan. That's part of the world, right? Yeah, we're going to stick you in Okinawa and say, have fun for the next two years. <laughs> we didn't say the whole world. <laughs> you know, just this part of the world. Just this one part. <laughs> Yeah, I I used to crack some jokes on him, and then I started hearing stories about, um, like just what his work was like. You know, when he was an XO and stuff. And then I just immediately mm-hmm. shut the fuck up because I was like, this dude outworked me, and then some. So, oh yeah, yeah, I that really blew my mind. And the other thing that he always rubbed in my face, he's like, it's not my fault that we're smart and we pick to live a nice life while we can. He's <laughs> like, right. <laughs> Because we were talking about like umbrellas, like the Air Force could use umbrellas. And I think like the, the, you know, Marines, we can't use anything. Umbrellas. Who had an umbrella in the military? Yeah, I, I don't remember the, the, I don't know if they can or can't, but we were talking about umbrellas and he was just like, well, you know, that's the kind of thing that the Air Force would say okay to. And I was just like, yeah, because you guys are soft. And he's like, no, he's like, because you don't need to practice suffering when it comes time to suffer, you just suffer. He's like, that's <laughs> the you guys haven't figured out yet. No, you need to be ready for it. I know. And that's exactly what I said. I was like, oh, it's just because we're hard. And he was like, yeah, you guys are real hard. He's like, what's your enlisted turnover rate again? And I was just like, right. oh. 
Oh, I, I get it. And he's like, yeah. He's like, last time I was on Camp Pendleton, you had him out there weed whacking and painting rocks. Shocker, they don't want to stay there. And I was like, all right, man. I didn't know we're going real here, digging at truth. Never mind. <laughs> oh, my grandpa told me stories about uh, when he was watching like the the people on the brig they'd take him out to a hillside and uh, i think it was in okinawa where he's stationed just having him out there cutting the grass with scissors at least they built them out that's pretty good man i i had to do right i had to do in the brig and i was like i'm pretty sure this is an insane asylum like this is scary <laughs> <laughs> they still have this they still have the rule where if anyone escapes on your watch you have to fill their or finish their sentence out I have never heard of that. That sounds, okay. but that's the thing about the Navy, man. Y'all are always tripping on them ships. As soon as you get out there, that dude, you know, the CEO, he's like the mayor and president of everything. Yeah. I've learned that there's like <laughs> passageways. Some people can go down. Other people can't go down. It's like, we're all just trying to get around this damn boat, bro. Uh, see, I was on a sub. We didn't have any of that bullshit. I spent like a week on a nuclear sub during Cortramid. It was Springfield. It was the Springfield. Okay. And I remember that was one of my favorite experiences because I got to say that, like, I took a dump, you know, over a thousand feet below the water surface. <laughs> that was that was my. Yeah, that back. dump is still there. <laughs> <laughs> but that was actually really cool. That was one of, one of my favorite things to look at because I, I found on the nuclear subs, dude. Like every legit, everybody's super smart. Like super mm-hmm. super smart. And that was really fun because, you know, the Marines, man, God, I, I love them to death, but we are not the brightest bulbs in the box. And that's, you know, it is what it is. But on, on the nuclear sub, dude, those, those guys were fucking smart. Oh, well, thank you. Mm-hmm. Not that smart because we still enlisted and <laughs> signed <laughs> to go voluntarily sink in a boat. <laughs> oh, yeah. Give me the boat that sinks to the bottom, please. <laughs> I just figured it'd have less less to go. Like you know, we already got it over with. Don't ever have to worry about it sinking. Right, right. right. You're already there. Worry about, yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, crushing pressure. That, <laughs> yeah, nice. I, I could see why you picked it. I could see why you picked it. I figured it would be just be over fast if anything ever actually happened. Yeah, and they also paid you extra money too. Sub pay was nice. There it is. See, let, let that's let, the that's the main thing. Yeah, let's talk about it. That's that's what it is, man. You get a few extra dollars to be it's all about those extra pays. And I mean, y'all had like crazy good food too, though. And I don't know what it is, but the other uh, thing, how I noticed, long ago was this? Uh, it was 20, 2010. Jeez. How bad was your food? It was, it was delicious. I loved it. I, no, no, your I Marine Corps, food. The Marine Corps. Uh, food. Who got food there? I remember loading boxes and they had stamps on them that said grade F rejected for penal use. Yeah, dude. That's that's what I'm saying. We didn't get food. You just get you just get calories. <laughs> but, but on the, cardboard. Dude, right? on, the, on the sub, I was having a damn field day because they had like mid mid rats or whatever. And oh yeah, mid rats like, are always nice. Yeah. Anytime you wanted a snack, you just go get it. Yeah. In the Marine Corps, man, you just carry your food wherever you go and it's shit. Yeah. But but Again, Marine Corps is pretty smart because it just made all of us pissed off. And as soon as you get around somebody, you're like, yeah, man, like, I want to fucking kill you. I'm pretty angry right now. <laughs> <laughs> Can't get the taste of stroganoff out of my mouth. Fuck that guy. He's donut. I'm fucking taking it from it. <laughs> yeah, man, like, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's the Marine Corps philosophy. They just keep these dudes rattled up, super pissed off. And as soon as you tell them, like, yeah, bro, like, you're going to go comb through Fallujah and kill everything. They're like, fine, fine. Let, let, I will go do that. Yeah, they have lobster. <laughs> <laughs> Sign me up. Oh, well, thank you so much, Eric. It's been so great having you on here. Oh, hold on, Dan. Hold on. Hold on. Before we, we go. Yeah. We need to give him a chance to, to promote his stuff. I was going to fucking ask him. Well, you're over there muting and I can hear your bong hits happening. Okay. All right. All right. Yes. I have been smoking during the interview, but no, it wasn't even out of a bong. You couldn't hear it. Shit. <laughs> All right, all right. Those lighter clicks up. We can ask him. We can ask him. (laughs) Oh, man. Okay, before we wrap this up, Eric, uh, why don't you let everybody know where they can find you? We mentioned the YouTube channel a few times. Let's uh, let's get that promo out there. Yeah, so there's a YouTube channel, at ESInvest, and then Twitter, also, at ESInvest. 
And that's pretty much it, man. Yeah. What do you do on the YouTube? So it's mostly trading. I do some more zoomed out stuff, kind of more general finance topics, but the vast majority is going to be talking about trading, options trading specifically, but other stuff as well, um, like some futures trading, stuff like that. But the vast majority right now is is very trading focused. The channel's not too not too large. There's like 80, 8,500 subscribers. So I'm... That's... that's- Bigger than we. Well, I'm. <laughs> I'm most of the people we talk to. Well, I'm awful. So it's I. I don't know why because the I've always focused on putting out good information, but I don't edit videos, man. Like if I mess up, I just say shit. Sorry, I messed up, and then I correct what I said and keep keep it moving. I'm not good at video editing and all that stuff. I think I said that I'm not. Oh, is that the secret? Super out video, Dan. I just don't edit it. I, I don't think that's a secret because I'm pretty sure the channel would actually be growing pretty quick if I took it and did what I know I should be doing. But I think, honestly, the other thing is I, I just feel like there's so much out there that is so super polished and so neat and everything has yeah. no cracks in it. It's like, bro, that's not real life. Yeah. It's literally not real life. So I kind of just try to keep it real over there. I talk about trading, portfolio management, analyzing the markets, the economy. I have a segment called Money Talks where I bring people like you onto my channel. And we, oh. yeah, we talk about trading, man. Awesome. But I'm like, like to this, set something up. Yeah, I would love to. I would, I would absolutely love to, to keep working with you guys. You guys are awesome. But the only downside is on YouTube, I do record video. And like right now, I'm still sitting here shirtless, loving that. Yeah. But I would, I would have to put, uh, Maybe maybe I could just put like pasties on instead of a shirt. All I'm wearing is a sock right now, just so you know. That's, yep. That's <laughs> oh, Mr. Richie over there with his sock. <laughs> it's a knee high. <laughs> I'm surprised they're not fishnets from the Navy, but <laughs> <laughs> there it is. There it is. There, there it is, Dan. That's what we end on. Thank you guys so much for having me. It's super fun to actually talk to like just real people in the space. It's not it's not too common to find that, and I, it's refreshing. So thank you guys for doing what you're doing, and I definitely am, am very thankful to have connected with y'all. Well, we're glad we uh, we we hooked up with you. We're looking forward to hearing when uh, the episode with Anthony drops too. Yeah, as soon as I find out, I'll uh, I'll let you guys know. I think I'll, I'll find you guys on Twitter, and then we'll yeah, for sure, for sure. absolutely. Uh, well, thank you again, Eric. Uh, had a really great time. Uh, it was just wonderful, wonderful having you in the shop. And folks, thank you for sticking around to the end. Hope you had a great time too. Check Eric out there on uh, YouTube and Twitter and wherever, you know, all the other places he said while I was definitely paying attention. And <laughs> and we'll be coming back at you again soon. Uh, but until then, we got to go and kick you out. So happy trades. Bye, everybody. See y'all. Two Bulls in a China Shop is an entertainment program, and all thoughts and opinions expressed in the show belong to the hosts and not of any company. They are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security or investment product. It is only intended to provide entertainment about stocks and the financial industry of trading. If you make trades based on what you hear in this show, you assume all risks for those trades.